There are some things in life that are important, but there are very few that are very important. And this morning, we want to look at that which the Lord Jesus made very clear is very important. We know it theologically. We know it in our study of the Bible And yet so often our practice, our decisions of life do not show it. You may have heard this illustration about, suppose you were on a cruise ship in the Caribbean and suddenly on one side of the boat, hundreds of people are in small boats that are sinking. The people cry out for help. If they are not rescued soon, they're going to drown. What should you do? Then you hear the captain of the ship announce over the speaker system, folks, look to the other side of the boat so you won't see those people. Put your finger in your ears and don't, so you won't hear them. Oh, they need help, but after all, this is a pleasure cruise, not a rescue mission. We are too busy having fun. Oh, yes, you can say a little prayer for them as we pass by. Criminal? Yes, but no more. Not No more so than when we ignore the cry for help by people all around us who are being swallowed in an ocean of evil. Too many believers are too busy to help rescue the perishing. They are too busy enjoying, of all things, their quote-unquote religion. Well stated. But folks, even more important than the cries all around us right now, you go five minutes around Falls Baptist Church and the souls that are in need, it's overwhelming. But even greater than that is that Jesus has told us to do something about it. It's important to him. You know, most of us would like to think that we're really not caught up in worldliness. We hear that term and we think of major sins or major uh, uh, materialism or just living completely without any uh, desire to serve the Lord. But another statement I think is very helpful here, worldliness does not always manifest itself in open enmity toward God. It also may reveal itself in an arrogant attitude of self-sufficiency in planning daily. Life's activities in total disregard of God. It is possible to express man's dependence upon God in a formal worship rite and then disregard him in the restless pursuits of daily life. Men engrossed in commerce and trade would be particularly liable to succumb to the sin of sidestepping God's will while planning for the future. You say, Pastor, those are sort of tough statements that you just talked about. Yes, on purpose, I started on this serious note because this is one of the most serious subjects I could ever bring to this pulpit. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is a very important subject, or I'm sorry, a very important narrative in the lives of the disciples in their ministry with the Lord Jesus. And here we have God formally calling them into a ministry with Him. And it parallels the ministry 
that God wants us to have as we are continuing on the ministry that God gave them. And it's very significant that what he did here in the miraculous draught of fish was repeated when God recommissioned Peter after he had denied the Lord, after the resurrection, found in the last chapter of John. So it's very significant that in the calling of the disciples and then the recommissioning, really, of all of them, though he was focused on Peter, the center focus was on evangelism. And so you cannot divorce evangelism from serving God. You cannot think of the Christian life without the heartbeat of the Savior to get the good news of the gospel out. They are inseparable. And so let's look here. I'm going to read this entire narrative uh, from Luke's perspective by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to go back and look at some of the things that I believe can be a help to us here today as we look at the matter of having in our lives believing evangelism. Verse 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. They had finished their job for the night. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, or I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John and the sons of Zebedee which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth <coughs> thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Here you have the call to these men to follow Jesus Christ. And clearly at the very heart of this call is the catching of men for the kingdom of God. And he uses this very dramatic, miraculous illustration of the fish to make it very clear the whole nature of what he was calling them to. And so this morning, uh, let's talk about being a Christian that truly believes God in the matter of evangelism. So first of all, what are the obstacles to evangelism? Because clearly, 
there has to be some obstacles. Peter said, I tried it and it didn't work, speaking about the uh, matter of getting fish. The Sea of Galilee is a deep water lake formed by what I believe was the great explosion at Sodom and Gomorrah. If you ever look at a map, you'll see the great cleft there that goes from Lebanon all the way down into Africa. And you have the lowest spot on earth is the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is hundreds of feet below sea level, and it has an enormous depth to it as a freshwater lake. And there are many, many fish there, more than you would think for that size of a lake. They had fished all night. They were experienced fishermen, and they had literally caught nothing, which was very unusual. So clearly the fish were in a different location. It wasn't that easy unnecessarily to find them. And so they had given up. And the daytime was not the time that you should be fishing, especially this kind of commercial fishing. And so they were washing their nets, and they were done. And so when the Lord speaks to uh, the fishermen, Peter in particular, uh, after he had finished teaching out of Simon Peter's boat, he tells him to go out. We'll look at that in a moment. Peter simply said, we've toiled all night. We haven't caught anything. We know what we're doing, Master. Uh, it's not going to work. I have had more people tell me over the years, soul winning doesn't work for them. Uh, or I've heard people just can't be reached with the gospel today. Well, let me answer that sec second one very quickly. You're here. So that one dismisses that. Okay. How many of you have been saved in the last 30 years? Can I see your hands? All right. All right. Dismiss that one. Okay. People can be saved today. Would you agree with me? We're here today. People have been saved this last week. That's not an argument. But the argument that's the problem is the argument that, well, it doesn't work for me. 95% of Bible-believing Christians have never won anyone to Christ, according to most surveys. Last week, a LifeWay research survey <coughs> was, uh, uh, was made of self-identified believers 73 said they would consider giving the gospel or at least talk about it to a friend. 56 said that they would consider, if the opportunity was right, to maybe give it to someone that they did not know. Which means then that 44% weren't even willing ever to give the gospel. They said that in this poll, 53% in their life had at least shared with one friend. And 30% had said something about the truth to a stranger. But the telling aspect of this whole uh, uh, survey was the fact that 66% said they were not familiar with any method to give the gospel. By the way, 5 o'clock, no excuse, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about how you can give the gospel. But that is a real problem. So we look at the problems in America, and you've heard me say this many times. Folks, if every Bible-believing Christian would just do what Jesus said, we'd have an explosion of blessing in the United States instead of wringing our hands about how bad things are. 
It's not the problem of a lost world. They're doing what they do. The problem is a disobedient church across this country. So what are the obstacles that have caused this to happen as we look at this passage here? Well, very clearly, if you look back with me uh, at verse 5, after Jesus said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, he said, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Now what he is saying is, in our own effort, through our own strength, which was understandable that they were fishing, we have gone out and we haven't caught anything. Well, it's a very good picture of what happens when we as believers endeavor to do that which is supernatural through the power of the natural. You know, when you say it doesn't work for me, did you know you're telling, you're actually giving the truth? Now, the gospel is always powerful, but when we're not walking with God and depending upon Him, well, it doesn't work very well. But it isn't because of your personality, it isn't because of uh, your abilities, it's because God's not working through you as He could. Uh, John 6, 63, uh, as we look at flesh dependence here, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so we cannot depend upon our abilities. Folks, that is one of the most wonderful uh, realities that you can that you can come up with is the fact that this doesn't depend upon me. Just uh, a year, a few months ago, you remember uh, the Victory Conference a year ago, we had Tom Farrell here, evangelist Tom Farrell. That was one of his last times to preach. He's with the Lord now. <clears throat> and uh, he was a soul winner. And I remember going out on uh, on the Clemson campus. He was the leader of the um, Clemson outreach team, and I had just come in as a freshman to college, Bible college, and so uh, he told me, Van, you got to come out. So I went out. I went soul winning with him. He scared me to death. What an outgoing personality. How many of you know Tom Farrell? Am I exaggerating when I say it's an outgoing personality? Uh, uh, He's amazing. And he uh, he was good. He was good. And I remember thinking, I am not cut out for this. Now, I had been witnessing for years, you know, at high school and and all, but when I looked at the campus of Clemson and all of this, and I remember the enormous human fear that gripped me. But then I heard a preacher talk about the fact that, you know, if you really feel that you don't have the right kind of personality, You just don't have that salesman whatever. You just don't know how to talk to people. You're shy, whatever. He said, you're just the candidate for God to do great things. He said, the most dangerous thing to have is the ability to talk to people because you'll depend on the flesh. And I thought, well, praise the Lord, I'm never going to depend on the flesh because this is going to have to be one set of miracles. And by the way, it has been. And it's a glorious thing. We're not talking about what you can do. We are talking about what God can do. It's not our wisdom and power. Romans 8.8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, And so what happens is when we're looking for results and we see our weakness, uh, we just, we want to quit. 
We come up with rationale that helps us uh, get by from, from not uh, really getting out and giving the gospel, or we get fearful of what people think. And, uh, and so we've got to be very careful about that. A couple weeks ago, I spoke on a Wednesday night, and I used the illustration of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. What a, a miracle it was. These two powerful men in the Sanhedrin had come to know the Lord as their Savior. We saw that wonderfully portrayed in the Easter drama a few weeks ago. But these men, we read in John 12, 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, folks, it, it, we've got to understand this big obstacle of flesh dependence really gets down to worrying about us. You see, these men loved the praise of men. They loved being able to still function in the high level of society, even though they had put their faith in Christ, not till the end were they willing to come out publicly because they feared man. Folks, it's not our personality. It is not uh, our abilities. It gets down to, do we believe God and are we depending upon ourselves? And if we're depending upon ourselves, we're going to protect ourselves. And because of the fear of man, we're not going to do the most important thing to the heart of our Savior. It's a serious matter. Another obstacle is just simple lack of obedience to the Word of God. The Duke of Wellington is best known for the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo. However, one time a young pastor asked him for advice as to how he could succeed in the ministry. The duke asked, what are your marching orders? The young man quoted the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. The duke responded, then what are you waiting for? <laughs> That's how a military man would answer. But my friends, the key to this passage is when Peter said, nevertheless, act thy word. His experience wasn't there. He had depended upon himself and he had failed. They didn't have the ability on that end of the lake to be able to catch fish. It wasn't going to happen. And for us, it isn't based upon our strengths, our ability, our wisdom. It's based upon God working through us and God will not begin working through us until at thy word we obey, regardless of our experience, regardless of how we feel, regardless of how weak we feel. And so uh, at this point, Peter makes a very wise decision. What does he do? He goes out and puts the net down solely upon the fact that Jesus told him to. Now, how many of you really feel that he was, thought he was going to catch fish? Probably humanly he didn't. However, this is Jesus Christ <laughs> that's telling him this. This is early on here. But he wanted to please the Lord. He knew it wouldn't work humanly. And yet he did what God said to do. 
Now, if I was right here speaking to pastors, I would say, you know, one of the keys today to seeing God go forward in ministry, to have the right kind of ministry, is for us to obey God and go to people and give the gospel and believe it and not cause our churches to get down on the level of a culture that's in trouble and try to appeal to them. We need to go out and see people saved and bring them in and disciple them and edify them to the level of what the Bible says we ought to be as Christians. That's a whole important philosophy there. That's why without evangelism, a church has to attract people on the basis of human culture, and that's why we're in the trouble that we're in. And so our goal needs to be that the Lord is glorified and His truth is vindicated. So it's dependence upon the, on the Lord. At thy word means reliance on God's word. I remember years ago, some of you may remember this, this goes back on oh my 33 years or more. We were doing soul winning training here at the church and uh, uh, gone through it and had uh, the material there and, uh, and they were memorizing it and we were having a great time. We had hardly even gone out yet. And so in the trunk of one of our guys' uh, uh, cars was the material. And he happens to be driving someone that didn't know the Lord somewhere and they started talking about the gospel and the guy was interested. I guess he was talking about the fact he was in this class and he said, I'd love to hear about that. Of course, the guy paralyzed. He, you know, he just barely learned anything. I don't think he was saved very long. I can't even remember exactly the situation, but I do remember this. So what he did was went out to the trunk, got the paper on which the outline was, sat in the car, read the outline, and the man got saved. That's God. That's God. It's, uh, it's wonderful when we obey and we just allow God to work. Uh, and so the key we need to realize is that when God says it, He'll do it. If we'll get past ourselves and the fear of man and these uh, obstacles of our own experience and step out and depend upon God, God will do what man cannot do. And the Lord Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come, He will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will do it. He will not... Uh, it uh, will not happen any other way. Now, see, here's how our human mind works. It doesn't make any sense for us to approach someone we do not know and tell them that they are a sinner and going to hell. Right? Ever thought that through? But all of you that were saved as an adult, aren't you glad somebody did that for you? But that wasn't easy. But it's powerful when God... Uh, when God calls you to do it, and you do it. And there are so many times that I've seen uh, situations where just gone ahead, got started initially, there's even sometimes a reaction, but there's a hearing to the gospel, and all of a sudden God steps in. God changes the equation, and God works. And so he does what we cannot do. And by the way, folks, when we are willing to obey uh, his word, to let down the net, um, we need to realize there are divine appointments all around. 
just in the last couple of weeks. I remember praying about one divine appointment. Lord, would you open that door? And within five minutes, God opened that door. And I won't go into all the details. It's an amazing thing. John 4.35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. You can count on this being true. I think... uh, I was with Brian the other night, and I think at least two people, as we were going door-to-door there, said, we have been thinking about this before you came. That's God. You see, we are on a divine adventure. It's not salesmanship. It isn't human effort. We are on a divine mission given by an all-powerful Savior who has Uh, all the power through the Spirit of God working in our lives and in the lives of other people, we are on a divine adventure that God will bring in a harvest and He simply wants us to be the instruments for that to be the case. Put out the nets. Put out the nets. Just do it. Obey. And then the third obstacle there is unbelief in God's promises. The Lord made it very clear to those disciples in John 14, we often quote this, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you believe that? Folks, if you will believe God, He will use you to do the greatest miracle of all time, and that's through you see someone come to eternal life. Folks, it will change your life if you believe God. The story is told of uh, Leroy Ames. He was in Turkey. He was with his son Randy, and uh, they were in Istanbul. They were sitting in a restaurant, and they were shocked. Up comes a big, brown, huge bear. And that poor bear, you know, was under leash and everything, and the owner started doing a tambourine, and the bear started uh, uh, dancing around and uh, would lay on its back, and people were cheering. And so um, uh, he then tried to get money uh, from the people that were around. And all of a sudden, a little mangy mongrel uh, dog comes leaping from behind the bushes and begins barking at the bear. And the bear, uh, instead of rising up in anger, uh, was um, uh, just totally uh, uh, overwhelmed and terrified and bounded away. That was an odd thing. Well, what was the problem? Uh, how could this magnificent uh, beast uh, be afraid of a scruffy little dog. Well, there are two reasons. The bear was muzzled and declawed. (laughs) Well, I think about that. We as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the most powerful message in the world. We've got the God of heaven looking on. We have greater power than any bear has. And yet, because of fear, because of unbelief, because of disobedience, we're muzzled. And we're declawed. We're unable to speak and we're weaponless because we do not know that we have the power of the Spirit. And all it takes is one person saying, I don't like it, I don't want to hear that, and we go skulking away. 
My friends, we need to get unmuzzled. We need to get back uh, that tremendous uh, reality of what we have in Christ. Well, let me go on just a couple major points that I'll quick, quickly go over. Secondly, the miracle of evangelism. Well, he let down the net in verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and the, their net break. This was such a catch that those boats, and if you've seen them in the brochure, I think there's a picture of the Jesus boat there from that era of time. They weren't huge, but they could carry a lot of fish. So if those boats began to sink with the fish, I'm telling you, this was a catch of fish. It was an amazing thing. It was obviously a miracle. And uh, it was the work of a holy God. Now what you know, wouldn't you have thought that the, the disciples would have just cheered when they uh, saw this happen? Well, what do we find? Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, for he was astonished in all that were with him. Now, folks, we have a powerful God. He is a holy God. When Isaiah saw him, uh, there, high and lifted up, and in Isaiah chapter 6, he said, I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips. That's why these men fell before him. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then what did he say in verse 8? Here am I, send me. He understood all of a sudden what life was truly about. He saw the holiness and greatness of his God, and he gave his heart to the Lord. That's what happens to these men. Folks, I plead with you to realize that when we simply depend upon God and obey Him at His Word, you will begin to have revealed to you the greatness of the God of the Bible. Don't we live in an intimidating day? Is not all the secular humanism just pounding us today? But listen to me. If you'll simply believe God, obey Him, be prepared to give the gospel and do it every opportunity you have and have a system to do it, a regular time to do it, and be ready all the time to do it. And you see God cut through and do a miracle like this draught of fish and begin to see God using your life. You will see the Bible and the Word of God in a way you have never seen it. Some of the most breathtaking moments for me have been when I walked away from a soul-winning situation. When I saw a Muslim saved with Michael, I walked away. When I had the privilege of leading a Christian scientist to the Lord that went on for God, I tell you what, when you leave that home, the awareness of who God is just overwhelms you. This is a miracle. This is amazing. One of the reasons that many Christians doubt God and get frustrated about the promises for them in other areas is that they are saying no to God because of fear or insecurity, flesh dependence in this matter of evangelism, and are not having the opportunity to see God in action in the lives of other people. We also see here this miracle that this is the pro it was a promise of a powerful Savior. He said, you, uh, 
let down the nets. God did the work, and then he makes the great promise in verse 10, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When God says it, when Jesus says it, it will happen. I love what Robert Murray McShane said. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He ever liveth to make intercession. Jesus told us to catch men. He gave us a great commission to make disciples of all men. He's given us the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, so that we can be witnesses. And my friends, He is on our side. And when we step out of our insecurities and our fear and step by faith into obedience to Him, we have just stepped into the presence of an Almighty God. And you begin to partner with the God that created the universe and everything changes. Folks, that's why we struggle so much. We do not see God do for us what He's intended for us to do once He saved us. And we struggle with who our God is. By the way, that's why prayer, in which you really understand God, leads you then into soul winning. And so, thirdly, that should lead to then a surrender of a committed believer. And uh, this is the great miracle that was seen here. These men forsook all and followed him. Uh, and uh, I don't have the time to get into it. I love 1 Thessalonians 1 where the gospel came in word, not only word, but in power in the Holy Ghost. And then those folks became followers of the Lord. And uh, because of that, Achaia was reached powerfully. Uh, I love Jim Elliott's uh, diary entry, uh, the Aka Indian martyr who wrote, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. My friends, we need to realize that it was common people like us that shook the Roman Empire. There's a very famous quote from Philip Schaff, the top church historian, but I'd like to read it again. While there were no professional missionaries devoting their whole life to this specific work, every congregation was a missionary society and every Christian believer a missionary. Inflamed by the love of Christ to convert his fellow people, fellow men, excuse me, every Christian told his neighbor, the laborer to his fellow laborer, the slave to his fellow slave, the servant to his master and mistress, the story of his conversion as a mariner tells the story of the rescue from shipwreck. And on he goes. And so the fact is, it was just people like us who understood the greatness of their God. God was ready to do a miracle. And the gospel went around the work, the world. Well, the accomplishment of, the evangel of evangelism is... First, get to the gospel. Launch out into the deep. You've got to go. You've got to know, go where the fish are. You, you know, today we got all, all this special equipment. Now, to me, that takes all the fun out of it to find out where all the fish were. I, I used to love to go to deep water lakes and wonder where in the world they are. And I actually came across them. That was neat. Couldn't see anything, especially walleye. You know, they're so deep down there. And you pull them up, and that's exciting. And, uh, but uh, we have divine sonar. <laughs> God knows exactly 
where to take us. And, uh, and so we just need to launch out. In other words, you've got to make the decision. I'm going to do it. We need to give the gospel. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. I remember being very struck when I was with Brother Jeremy. We had a, uh, uh, we had a uh, Islamic man and his wife, uh, and uh, he was witnessing, and I thought, oh, this is going to be difficult. He asked them for two hours. I thought, well, that's pretty bold. They gave him two hours. And so I was stuck there two hours. I was good. And you know what he did for two hours? The Word of God, 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 the Word of God. Now, of course, I didn't understand half of it. He tried to uh, back translate it to me. It got to the end. I thought, what in the world are they thinking? And I'll never forget. He says, well, what do you need to do? And they said, we, we need to accept Christ as our Messiah. Well, but what about Muhammad? No, it's Jesus Christ. I was shocked. And they prayed and got saved. Breathtaking. What was it? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing fancy. Just do it. Believe God. And then call for a decision. And believe God for God to work. Well, in conclusion, the results of evangelism will give you a confident ministry. Romans 1.15, I've already been uh, quoting this. So that as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Why was he ready to go to Rome, the imperial seat? Well, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why was he not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? He had seen it work over and over and over. It is the power of God into salvation. I have no doubt Yes, I've suffered some for it. Yes, I've paid a price, but I have seen hundreds of people that have led hundreds of people. There are hundreds of churches. God's doing a mighty work. I absolutely believe the gospel. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of confidence? And then it will bring us to a multiplying ministry where people that we reach will reach other people. And friends, let me just say, there is nothing greater in all the world than have spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And to see what you have done have an impact in other areas and other communities because you believe the gospel. I've just touched on this today, folks. But you know the same God that gave George Whitfield, the great evangelist, oh Lord give me souls or take my soul. The same spirit that gave praying hide a missionary in India, this kind of heart, Father, give these souls or I die. Or the same God that gave the missionary to the Fiji Islands, John Hunt, a prayer upon his dying, that Lord, save Fiji, save Fiji, save these people, O Lord, have mercy upon Fiji. It's the same God that can transform anyone in this room into a new person. God did it with Peter. He did it with those disciples. They went around the world as martyrs. If we want to, God can change our life. Let's bow for prayer.